Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This is a safe space where mamas can talk openly about their highs and lows of motherhood and to look deeper into who they are as women and their journey into motherhood. We may agree and disagree or cry and laugh, but one thing for sure is we will learn from one another and have a great time. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I have a very special guest, Evelyn Mendel of Hatch and Bloom. Um, So Evelyn, why don't you tell me about your motherhood journey, um, your inspiration behind Hatch and Bloom, and then we'll kind of go into all of the good stuff that comes with what Hatch and Bloom is about and, you know, all, all of that good stuff. Sure. So thank you for having me here. I'm really excited to be here and to connect with like-minded individuals and moms everywhere and uh, my motherhood journey. So I have a five-year-old daughter going on 25 because she is all sass. (laughs) I wouldn't change it for the world, but she is all sass. She's amazing. And she was actually um, an IVF baby. So I had to have in vitro with her. I, I got married and at 26, six or 27, I don't remember. And then immediately decided to go off the pill, not to try to have a baby, but just to like, kind of get my body in order. And I just never, I never regulated. Like my body never, I never menstruated. I never ovulated. It was really bizarre. So basically you're saying you're on the pill, you get off the pill and all of a sudden. Yeah. I was on the pill for nine years and which like, I feel like was so common or is so common, like for people to be on the pill forever. And before, before the pill, I was regular always. And then I got off and it just like, my body never worked like the way it was, it used to, it was really weird. Yeah. So then I started thinking about having a baby more out of fear of my body's not working. And I don't know how long this will take rather than I'm dying for a baby right now. Right. So it was more out of it was more fear-based sort of. And, I, and then I had a one and a half year journey where I tried like acupuncture, fertility diets. I tried like all the like homeopathic natural things. And those didn't really do anything for me. And then I ended up doing Clomid, which is the pill they give you to like stimulate ovulation. I did that for a couple months. So that how long was like this whole process? It was probably almost two years. It was like a year and a half to two years. I ended up skipping, skipping the IUI, which they recommend like before in vitro. I said, no, I'm going for the one with the highest chance at this mm-hmm. point. And I was really lucky because it worked the first time. Uh, the first cycle that's Livy, that's my Livy. So oh. that is my journey to become, to have become a mother. Um, and my motherhood journey since then has been incredible. It's been ups, it's been downs, it's been very rich. I try to be so present and conscious about the way that that I raise her, the way that I parent her. She teaches me all every day, which is oh, amazing. A hundred percent. And tell me if that was the inspiration behind Hatch and Bloom where you is so so we'll go into Hatch and Bloom now. Yeah. Okay. So Hatch and Bloom. So I'm a licensed mental health therapist. That's my background. And I used to work in trauma, sexual abuse, behavioral health, a little bit of everything. But while I was working in this one place, I decided there was this training, the certification for something called infant mental health, 
which most people have never even heard of, right? So see you, I don't even think you've probably heard of it. No. And it's funny because I've talked to some licensed mental health and I always find it fascinating how each one specializes in whether it's something that means something to them or something they're passionate. So now I'm learning something new. (laughs) Yeah. So infant mental health is like really focused on the first three years or the first five years, like they define it differently, but it's the first few years of life. And it's a very preventative approach to mental health, proactive approach. And it's super, super heavy on like relationship between the parent and the child. And because we know, and I'll kind of tell you about like how this led me to Hatch and Bloom. I did this, this training, this certification, and I was mind blown by the amount of things and development and emotional development and physical development, everything that happens in the first few years of life and how much of that really is influenced by the parents and by the caregivers around the child. So once I learned that, I said, like, how is it that more, more mental health professionals or more, you know, education professionals or anyone, how is it that they're not really focusing on setting kids yeah yeah, I'm like setting kids on the right path from the very beginning setting them up for success by educating the parents about like really what their role is and and by educating their parents on what is happening with their children in these years and what they need and let me ask is this something you've learned in you know your training or as your profession while you were a mom or before you became a mom so I learned this actually this is a funny uh, subjects because I, I learned this before I became a mom before I even was pregnant. And I used to, I created this curriculum and I used to run like mom groups and it was, and it was like, my curriculum has definitely evolved a lot since then, but the topics are pretty similar. But back then, before I was a mom, I would run these groups and then I became a mom and I had to like totally revise them because I'm like, okay, a lot of this shit is not realistic when you're actually. So you were running these groups for moms and they're listening and now you're a mom and you're like, what the? I'm like, no, right, right. So I, so I definitely tweaked and definitely I have like a much more real perspective on what is achievable for moms and what is, you know, I, I get it now. I get it. I get the ups and the downs and the parenting fails and the, and the successes. And I get what the, the tiny wins are big wins. And so, so that definitely influenced uh, my, what I teach now, how it's evolved. Uh, but yeah, so then I had my daughter and I honestly, I really do practice what I preach. I really do as much as possible. There's no perfection, but I really try. And I have totally seen the benefits of raising her in this way. I really have. So, so it's just made me even more passionate about, you know, because I really see it in front of me. It's made me more passionate about, you know, working with parents and that's how Hatch and Bloom was born. I decided to focus really on the first few years of life. So have your practice, but your, your not niche, but your clientele, you really focus on helping parents because you see it is so impactful and you make such a good point. And it's crazy because I still, I say this every time I talk to a licensed mental health therapist and we talk about something. So the two I talked before, we talked about maternal mental health, but on two different spectrums of it, right? On their perspective. And we were in each conversation, it was like, how are we in 2020? We're just now learning really things and talking about it and having open conversations about postpartum anxiety and all this. And now here you go and saying, you know, the importance of, especially the first few years of life, 
and how critical it is in building that relationship with the child, which we'll go into more um, because then I want you to go into kind of like what you do with Hatch and Bloom and what that looks like in helping parents. But it's still so fascinating to me that we're that we're in 2020 having these conversations and how important it is because, like you said, it really does change the traje- trajectory of a child's life in these yeah. early stages. It absolutely does, and you know, maternal mental health is key because without having really strong support and also like for a solid foundation in your own mental health as a mom, how can you give to your children? Right. So it really starts with, with the mom it does, or with the parent. So it's, it starts with that sort of, you know, you feeling okay. Can't, I always say this, you can't pour from an empty cup. And that's one of the truest statements ever we try. And I think it, when we become moms, like it's so it's so natural to just want to give to kids, right. To give to our kids. And we so much that like, we're the ones that are sleep deprived and everything deprived. And like, we're just giving, 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 giving. But at some point you're pouring from an empty cup and that whatever you're pouring is not even beneficial anymore to your child. So maternal mental health is very, very important. And it goes in hand in hand. And this is just the extra layer of once mommy's okay, (laughs) then there's this added layer of what does that relationship look like with the child? So why don't you go into what is, um, because what did you label? You said infant mental health? Yeah. So go into that. So the premise is to to kind of create an environment where a child can develop what's called a secure relationship with their, with their caregiver. So let's say it's a parent here. And that relationship, that's the first relationship that a child has in the world. It's, it's a relationship with their parent. And this relationship is very important for this child. It's very representative of whether they are going to trust, whether they are safe, whether they're taken care of, whether they are confident and can explore, like so much relies on this relationship. So it's really about nurturing the relationship to, to originally to be established as like a secure relationship, but then to keep it a secure relationship because that's tough, right? We have lots of moments where, where we clash with our children, where there's conflict, where we don't understand them, where we, we, you know, we wish we weren't parents and those things are all normal. And like, I just want to say here that there's like a very big margin, margin for error when it comes to what keeps the baby still having or the child still having a secure relationship with you, they can handle a lot of failure. They can, but what they need, what they really need is consistent connection and they need consistent feelings of safety. And that's not just physical safety, that's emotional safety. So that's kind of what I help parents establish, like learn how to create safe emotional safety for their children. That's kind mm-hmm. of what Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tell me, go into some of the workshops that you do. And of course, obviously, you know, people can sign up um, and kind of go into that too. But I see here you have the um, workshop regulation, um, integrating sensory systems, the mom boss crew, mental health panel. So tell me all the things that people can get when they go to your page, other than technically maybe getting one-on-one sessions that you offer with Hatching Bloom. Yeah. So I do one-on-one parenting consultations and those are always great because they're tailored to, you know, whatever's going on with the parent, but I love the webinars. I love, love doing these webinars and I get great feedback. It's, it feels like such a community. Uh, the different topics that I choose to do are topics that I think are relevant, whether you have 
an infant, whether you have a toddler, whether you have a preschooler, doesn't matter the age. Honestly, it's even applicable to older children. One of the recent ones that I did was on resilience. And that was one of my absolute favorite ones. It was how to kind of raise resilient children, uh, which is really one of the most important skills that you can, that you can really help develop in your child now. It really is more than like anything else. It's funny because, um, um, and not to, not to cut you off, but I feel like I, I'm a, my day job is I'm a, I'm a vice president of finance and HR. Hmm. So I have a high level executive day job position. My night job is this and me, you know, trying to build a community with moms and stuff. But I say that because in being a manager before I had a child, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like dealing with children and they each have different wants and needs and the biggest thing I would see when we were hiring people or looking is resiliency of being able to overcome, whether it was feedback or things, to be able to proactively think for themselves, like all of that goes hand in hand. And I'm like looking at these adults that I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And I can see how it starts from young and patterns develop and they can't overcome things. Yeah, it does. So the brain develops so quickly in the first few years that all of these kind of pathways you really are setting from your very first interactions with your children over and over and over these this is how they start to understand themselves and the world it's amazing so so I'll choose topics that really you can start to build skills really really early on and set them on that right trajectory for for thriving and success so it's resiliency and uh, this last one I did was regulation and I actually invited an occupational therapy therapist to come and join me uh, because I'm really liking lately the sense, the sensory processing approach too. I think that it's very, it just makes so much more sense to look at a child from like the whole perspective of both emotion regulation, sensory regulation. Like if we really understand what, how their body's working and their brain is working, then we can, we can know what they need at certain moments. When you're saying sensory, you mean like their touch, their smell, everything related to that? Yeah. So it's their five senses, but also there's, so there's actually eight and two of them. I think that parents aren't aware of this. Uh, They should be, they really should be, but some of them are even like there is one called proprioceptive and one called vestibular and they are for movement and body balance. And so kids, for instance, there's kids that really need, they need to feel a lot of pressure on their body. And those are kids that sometimes are like pushing into other kids or they're, they're get, they're seeking stimulation in ways that are not appropriate. But if you don't understand why they're doing it, you can look at a child and say, Oh, this child's just aggressive. They don't behave. As so opposed to helping correct the behavior. Yeah. You don't know what's happening. Yeah. What's causing it. Or if a child's like really overstimulated and they, you know, they totally shut down and they're like, I can't play on the playground. You might say that child's so antisocial. They don't know how to play with friends. So it's really being able to look deeper, look at why, you know, the why of, of behavior, not just look at the behavior. So that was really, really cool. Um, and then regulation in general, that's like my thing. It's like, you have to, the parent's role is to regulate their child, to help them calm, to help to find connection. Uh, lots of times I find parents don't really have a great understanding of what their child can actually do by themselves at certain ages. There's a discrepancy. Parents think that children can manage their feelings a lot better than little children actually can. And when they think that, 
then they sort of expect them to. And then when the child doesn't do it, the, the parent gets really frustrated. And so you see how that entire, that's like a domino effect on everything. So Correct. a lot of it is educating on, on all of this. Uh, and understanding the child. And it, again, I say it's now really discussing it, but it, it is so important. And I'm happy that we are discussing it now. I know I find myself in those moments. And so funny, I was thinking about it. I was changing my calendar. And I don't know. Oh, I, I remembered having a conversation with my son. And like, he would ask, like, what's the, the thumbtack for or something? And I remember like frustratingly being like, Jason, I, I don't have time for that. And I'm kind of brushing it off. And he didn't bother him. But I remember thinking of that because I'm like, gosh, if you keep brushing it off too many times, then that I feel like is when a child stops being curious, a child stops asking questions, a child stops doing certain things that are natural to them because they're obviously seeing it's a negative reaction. Maybe not all the time, but then that's where the mom guilt comes in because I'm like, gosh, why was I, why did I react that way? And then I'll be like, oh, because I was trying to rush. And what was I trying to rush? Because I wanted to get dinner. And it's like this whole, like you said, domino effect. And I think those webinars, conversations, these kind of things are important because the more knowledge you hear of that and things like that and know of that, then when something does come, you can recognize a trigger. You can know, I know what's coming. Let me try and pivot, pinpoint so that it doesn't go to that. Because I do believe in 2020 and beyond, it's even more imperative that we have these relationships with our children because they have so many more outside influences than we had. Totally, totally. So that's that's really why I chose this. This is my niche. Like, so I still will seek older kids and kids of you know other ages and adults and everything. But this is this is really my my baby. This is my bread and butter. So how does that affect your relationship with your daughter? Because obviously, I'm sure there's like R and D trial and error. Like you know, you view learning and you can see you know how does that work? Yeah. So you know, I'm still human. So <laughs> yeah, of course. As of much course. as I know, as much as I know. Uh, I know better. And I put that in quotation marks. Uh, I'm still a human that gets depleted and gets tired and loses my patience. But I also with that give, you know, say, with that said, I also know how to repair those moments. And that's like really, really key. And I do, I do really see my daughter grasping these soft skills that I've really worked hard consistently on helping her build. And it's not always easy. So she definitely has big, big emotions and tantrums. And, but I kind of help her navigate those. That's what I do instead of shut them out or instead of, you know, detach from her instead of just rescue her from them all the time, which is sort of the common things you'll see in parents parenting. So I do get to practice (laughs) what, what, what I teach. Um, and yeah, we have good days and we have not so good days. But again, I do have to say I'm really good about repairing the not so good days. So I apologize to her all, all of the time. Whenever I do something wrong, I apologize to her when I don't like how I responded, when it didn't feel good, when she didn't feel understood. So we have a great, like such an open, great relationship. Yeah. Awesome. I was reading something. Um, are you familiar with, I'm sure, Brene Brown? Yeah, I'm listening to her parenting. Um, I forgot what it's called. And it was basically, and she's a big advocate of that of repairing the relationship. And she's like, that's ultimately if you can show your children that you are just as imperfect, and then you can repair anything in between that, whether it's apologizing, admitting we're wrong and all this, she was like, that's really what it's all about. You know, and showing the behavior that we want our children, right, to emulate, you can tell them, but if we're doing the complete opposite, then you're wasting yeah. you, you children learn the most through modeling. So if you're modeling something there, that's what they're picking up on. 
Correct. So I saw something that was interesting and I wanted to mention because you have on here single parenting in quarantine podcast. So I didn't listen to the podcast, but I wanted to know what that was about. You're a single mom. How's that been in quarantine? You're a working mom. She's five. Kindergarten yet? Not yet? Yeah. Kinder, she's the youngest one in, in the whole grade. Yeah. So how have you been navigating? What, how has that been? Okay. So this podcast we did, I think like in April or May, like it was Uh. (laughs) quarantine where everyone was still having like PTSD from it. And, um, it was, it was definitely probably, I'm sure it was different back then than it, it would be now, because I almost feel like it's still so hard yet. We almost, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I think that people are kind of realizing like this is kind of a long-term thing that we're going to have to go through and uh, we're going to have to adapt and and sort of create our own new normal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what would I say about, you know, I don't know how many people are like strictly quarantining, like, like they were back then when I did it. And that was really more about like, they were, when people were super isolated. Gotcha. So like um, you didn't have any help. Like it was just, I, you and you, gotcha. Right. Which is still a problem for some single parents that, that don't have a lot of support right now. Listen, right. I commend, I don't know. I have my husband and I, I'm like, I have a couple of friends of mine who are single moms and I'm like, I don't know, like I'm exhausted and. No. Of course, there's an, a mom picks up more of the brunt just in general, because that's just what we do. But I'm very thankful I have a partner. I have my parents, my mother-in-law. I could not imagine if I did not have that. Yeah. So I come like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so I remember some of the things that I said, and I would still kind of stand by that, which is with the adjustment of reality, because reality really has changed. Uh, we sort of have to adjust our expectations too, because it is a new normal. And even at home, what home life looks like, what kids that are doing virtual school or homeschool, like what that looks like, it's not going to be perfection. Your house isn't going to be clean all the time. You sort of need to start prioritizing. You start, you need to start saying dirty house, but you know, I found a way to like connect my child, read them a book. They did you know, they played, they played a messy activity, whatever it was. Right. So, and let it go. And like the the thing is with screen time is like, it gets such a bad rep and I believe in it in doses and like, you know, manage, but some parents, especially single parents, like this has been their savior. It really has when they need a break, they need a break and they need to put their child in front of a babysitter an electric <laughs> electronic babysitter, because they don't have physical help, then that's what you need to do. You know, uh, if you find that you're doing that all day long, then, then maybe we need to revisit sort of like what other options you have, or if there's some sort now, I know my daughter went back to school. It was an adjustment, uh, because she, she wears a mask all day. And I honestly, though, kids are so adaptable and resilient that I was the one that was like having more trouble with that concept than her. Like she adjusted within two days. Like she doesn't even know she gets into the car and I have to tell her like, take it off. She doesn't even remember that she's wearing it. So kids and like, same thing with like the, how they sit separately. There's plexiglass in between her and, and the kids next to her. Uh, they can't sit a certain way at lunch. Like everything's different, but they are so adaptable. And something that I said, I think I said on that podcast, but I'll say now, regardless, is what kids want to know to be okay is really like if their parents are okay. So if they feel like you are okay and you're consistent in your way for of being there for them, then everything else is secondary. All the other rules don't matter. Which yeah. Back to your initial point is as long as there's a consistent security, 
the love, all the things that are necessary that we all kind of want even now as adults, right? But how even more so in children, because things are so new. <laughs> so as a single mom, and then we'll, we'll go to another topic, but I always wanted to know, and this, I usually save this for my quick get to know, but what do you do for self-care then? How do you find time since it is you and your daughter, you know, where me, I can, I, again, and, you know, go to my partner and say, you need to take him right now or whatever. How do you find that time? What do you do for yourself? Well, I do have to disclose, I have help. So I have a nanny that helps me on days that I have my daughter and oh. my mom is amazing and helpful. And my ex and I have like the Gwyneth Paltrow relationship. With okay, me. well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so that- <laughs> yes. I don't even like to say it because like it's mostly unrelatable to people. They're like, that's not how it normally is. So, but I do need to throw that out there because this is why I do get a lot of time for self-care because I do, I get my workouts and I get, you know, there's days that I don't, but I try, my motto is small things often rather than looking for that, like one, you know, I, I always make fun and I'm like, you're waiting for that, like one trip to Bali. That's not going to cut it. You need to do small things every single day, tiny things. So even if it's literally like, sometimes I'll get into my driveway, I drive home and I like, don't tell anyone I'm home for like, 10 minutes and I just sit there in silence or with my music on or just, you know, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I like sort of find quiet like that or like, you know, wait, I know this is really hard, especially with daylight savings, but waking up earlier than your kids, if possible, if you don't have those kids that wake up at 5am, it's really helpful because you are already starting your day at a different pace you know, and you're kind of doing things for you rather than getting up rushing. Like it's already like you're setting with the tone that's already super high pressured, drinking your coffee and peace like that, you know, that extra long hot showers. Today, I realized that I got a car wash for the first time in so many months. And I'm like, this is self-care because I'm literally sitting in, now that I sit in my car longer, it's actually clean. So this is yeah. like little things build up to a lot. You know, you got to keep your cup fuller. I think that's so important because I think we do see surrounding us. That's like these grand gestures of you need to, as you say, whether it's about um, go to Bali or whatever it is, when it's like, no, you if that's what makes you happy and your car is clean and that made you excited, why diminish that if it makes you feel good? Um, only because I've seen articles of that, that I've seen online where it's like taking a shower. I think I saw it was like the headline, taking a shower is not self-care. And I'm like, who are you telling? Sometimes it is shaving, exfoliating, doing my full process brings me joy. So why would you tell me that that's not self-care? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's like different for each person. You need to find what fills your cup a little bit. Exactly. The term of filling your cup. What is it that's going to give you the energy to continue on to do what you need to do? whatever that looks like. So another thing I wanted to touch base on that I saw on your Instagram is when you discussed about phobias and fears in children. So talk, let's talk a little bit about that. Why is it important to acknowledge them? What do they look like and how to manage? Because I'm sure we can get into a whole thing about that. But what are some tidbits? Because I just feel like I I haven't talked about that on any of my podcasts. And I think it's important to say, especially during COVID, especially because even the election, I mean, there's so much uneasiness and things going on. How do we talk to our children about that? Yeah. So first of all, fears in children are very common. So that's the first thing that you should know to probably expect that at some point in your child's life, they're going to be battling fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Children are developing at a really fast pace. They're also experiencing new things every single day. 
They think about things differently as they develop, right? So now when it was just the monster on the screen, now they're like, oh my gosh, do monsters exist? And so they're, they're thinking kind of advances and they go through things too, uh, where even, even changes in their environment. So even when we kind of schools closed and that COVID quarantine started and all of that, that can cause regression in kids and they can get more separation anxiety and fears from separating from parents. And so there's lots of different reasons why kids have fears, but they are very common. The thing that I like parents to know is that even if it's an irrational fear, like monsters don't exist, right? The fear, the feeling of terror or fear is real for the child. So the, the actual thing they're scared about may not be real or rational, but they're still experiencing severely that feeling a lot of times. And so sometimes parents will manage it from a very practical, logical standpoint where they'll try to just like show the child immediately that, you know, they're, they're okay, or that doesn't exist, or they can do this and push them into that mode when their child is still stuck in this very dysregulated, like nervous, they're like in their nervous system. They're like in fight, flight, or freeze. And so what they really need instead is reestablishing safety. And so how do you do that? You do that by helping connect to your child's verbally or through hugs or whatever, and really validating that you see them, you see what they're feeling, you see how scared they are. It makes sense why they're so worried. And then you can slowly move on to like, you know, that they're safe and you're there to keep them safe. But what parents will do most of the time is the opposite. They'll just be like, no, look under the bed. There's nothing there. You're fine. Right. So invalidating the fear is the opposite of what you want to do. You definitely want to validate, allow, permit it, and then sort of support them on how they can gradually overcome it little steps at a time. So like my son now has this fear. He's just turned three of the dark all of a sudden, like that just came. So we're sitting in his room he, and he knows his responsibility before bed. He has to take his dirty clothes and put it in the hamper. He's like, it's dark, it's dark. I'm scared. I'm scared. So the first couple of times I was like, Chase, there's nothing to be scared about. Come on, puppy. I was like, put it in the hamper. But then again, having conversations, the things I read and stuff, by the third, fourth time, I was like, I understand you're scared. Mommy gets scared too sometimes, but there is nothing to be scared of. And I said, look, you could put your flashlight. And then he was excited about that. So I was like, look, you can show your flashlight. And then he uses it. So now he knows and he either gets his little flashlight or he has a Star Wars lightsaber. Yeah. And, in, and that was like a game changer for him. And I'm like, mommy gets scared too. I said, but, and I walked in with him in the dark. I said, but there's nothing here. I said, but if you're still scared, you can turn on a flashlight. Here's your uh, resolution to it. And then, he, you know, he's been okay with it. But the first, actually probably first few times I was like, come on. But again, the time we got to do this. I don't have the patience for it. It's, it's time to go to bed. You know, that time thing. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is going to be one of those things. What am I setting him up for? If he's feeling that this is valid, it's a fear. And then we talk through it. Yeah. They, as soon as they feel connected to you, and that's really when you validate them and you make them understand that you, or you help them understand that you really do see them and, and mm -hmm. understand them where they are, that starts to already calm them. And, and from there you can give them all of these ideas. But if you're just, if he's in the middle of a big, 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 you know, reaction to fear and you're just like, but just take your light or your flashlight or whatever. It, it might've gone really differently. Like he, he could have just escalated more and been like really resistant. Sure. So 
it is important to do that and sort of meet them where they are. A lot of times parents want to push them very quickly to get over a fear. And that can be really flooding for, for a child. The darkness, darkness is scary. It is. It's a, it like represents like being alone and like, where's my safety? And it's my, funny, my husband, and I don't know if it was poignant in itself, but he was like, I also want him to know you could be scared of the light. Meaning as he gets older, like, it's not just the dark. Be aware right. of all of your senses. So I'm like, yes, babe. I'm like, but that's like a deep level. That's like a conversation <laughs> we have when he's older. But I understood the concept. I'm like, no, I get it. He's like, because it's not only bad things happen in the dark, bad things can happen in the light. So yeah. I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, but that's <laughs> like when he's like <laughs> older to have conversations about good and bad and all of that. But he had a valid point. I'm like, just true. It is, could be scary, but it's, you know, we have this innate thing, even as adults that the dark is so bad. And he's like, but you know um so that was funny but i do want to go into i've been meaning to talk because I, I saw your video on the giving tree mm. <laughs> um, and i wanted to dive deep and, and not of course you know deep end of it but it's funny because when i mentioned it to my husband when we were talking about it he's like yeah i thought about that too of how he's like this book is kind of overwhelming because it's going about this and giving 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 what made you talk about that was it something that sparked were you reading the book so here's the back story to it which is uh, that used to be my one of my favorite books growing up as a child. And I just remember every time that it was read to me in school and at home and everything, I was obsessed with it. And I was obsessed with the tree. I was like, the tree is the kindest tree. Like it is, this is an amazing, amazing tree. So I got it because I saw it and I got it for my daughter. And I said, I, I love to get her books that I read as a child. So we do that a lot. So I got this one and I'm like, I can't wait to read this to her. And this was, this was not right. When I did the video, I had read it to her, I think like a couple months before. And when I read it to her, I was so uncomfortable with like the, the tree, the tree that I loved so much all my life. I realized had zero like boundaries and zero, like it was just take everything from me and for a person that's taking like with no appreciation and it just did not sit right. And I was like, what is the message that I'm like sort of giving my daughter, you know, through this book, like it kind of, you know, and I'm not giving it to her because the book, you know, that's the way the book's written, but I was uncomfortable. I really was uncomfortable. I'm like, is this sort of, and I, and I get that there's so many interpretations, but one of the kind interpretations is this unconditional love that the tree has for the child. And it's like the parent child relationship. Oh, I was going to say, I heard that it's like the mom and that right. like this thing, but then as we're reading it, you're like, yes, but the mom never gets, it's just. Nothing. It's really weird. Even I feel like it's really weird, even as an unconditional love, like you still, I think it's really important to set boundaries even as a mom who loves her child and that not only for yourself, but that teaches your child to set boundaries and love, you know, and that's, that's like a really healthy message around love and relationships to have boundaries and self-care and self-respect and all of that. And so what was really, really interesting was the first time I read this with my daughter. And again, I was like sitting in my own discomfort, like couldn't believe where, how I didn't remember any of this at the end it's just the little stump, like nothing's left of this tree and this boy's like sitting on it. And I just look at my daughter looks at me and I'm like, so, so what did you think? And she, she actually like looked at me and was like, but like, why would he take all her stuff? Like she looks, this does not look like the tree anymore. Like, this is so sad. And I was like silently applauding her because I was like, oh my God, this is exactly 
what we're thinking as you're reading it. I want her to think. Yeah. And I, but see, I never could think like that when I was growing up. I clearly didn't have strong, like, you know, clear boundaries. (laughs) And um, when you posted it, what was the feedback you got? Oh yeah. So then I posted it because I was like, I, I just feel like people should, Okay, so so two things I want to say. First of all, I didn't get rid of that book. We actually read it all the time. I use it as an opportunity to talk about these things. So I don't, I'm not like a proponent of like, oh my gosh, no, this is terrible content. I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna keep it away from my child. I think it's like, no, this is stuff that's out there and it's always an opportunity to learn from it, right? So so you can almost look at it and be like, you know, what makes you feel good about this book? What makes you not feel good? What should the tree have done? Maybe the tree could have said no. You know, these are these are awesome opportunities. So we still read that book. And the second thing, we read it but with conversation attached to it. And the second thing is I posted it and I posted all this, you know, all of this opinion that I had on it. And I got, it definitely, I think almost everyone was was sort of on my side agreeing with like they it was really eye opening. Um, they didn't rem- yeah, a lot of people didn't remember yeah. having this. They didn't remember. They were like, I loved it growing up, and I didn't even realize this. Um, and then a couple of people said it's still really beautiful uh, because the concept of unconditional love and and this and that. And I loved the off like I really do love Shel Silverstein. His other books like the poem, the sidewalk one and whatever it was great but it was pretty amazing people started sharing it a lot because I guess they didn't really think about it that way yeah and I like how you said it's an opportunity because I'm a big um advocate I guess you can say for that too I don't believe in shutting anything out especially again I say in this day and age when I mean obviously you're talking about a book but as your daughter gets older or more things that she's aware of if you kind of build that level of picking and choosing what you want to discuss or have an opportunity or pretend like it doesn't exist somewhere, sometime she's going to hear about it, know about it, and is going to get a perspective and opinion on it that you may not want that person to give her and even planting that seed. So if you have the opportunity to plant the seed first, to where again, as you said, coming from someone she trusts, then if she hears another perspective, she has a better understanding as opposed to thinking, oh my God, this is really existed, what's going on and that kind of thing. Yeah. And like we, so it's also this message of like, we can talk about, yeah, what you're saying is like, we can talk about hard things. We can talk about tricky things, you know? And yeah, I want her to always know that. I want her to always know that. A hundred percent. So let's get into what I saw recently that I commended you for, for sharing. I think it's so brave of you. You're freezing your eggs. Hmm, Yes. Yes. So tell me why, how, when, where, what is the process been and all that good stuff. Sure. So as I said, Liv was an IVF baby. I I always kind of had in the back of my head that fertility might be a challenge in the future for me after that. So my my ex and I actually have three frozen embryos together that still are in storage somewhere. But I did not freeze eggs when I when I went through that. And I really do regret that. And like that's something I would sort of if I could advise people or like go back in time if you are doing embryos or retrievals or whatever, I would already freeze eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Cause embryos don't always survive. I don't even know if that's a thing. I'm not a doctor, but like, I wish I would have also frozen eggs back then. Now that you're in the process and seeing it and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I went back, so I'm turning 35 this month and I'm at my biological clock is screaming at me. And I always wanted another child. And when I got divorced, that was one of the first things that like 
crossed my mind was this worry of like, will I ever have a second child? So I decided to freeze my eggs as like an insurance policy for myself uh, so that I don't have to make decisions in relationships or decisions, you know, that are pressured or for the wrong reasons. So when I went in to check everything, the doctor actually told me that for some reason I had like really low reserves. Like for some reason, my ovaries are maturing faster than my age. And thank God I came in when I did still was low, a low count, but it, thank God I came in when I did. And so I was like, okay, I definitely need a freeze on because I, I don't know how much longer my ovaries are going to last like yeah. producing eggs. So I just went through the process. So it's the same as IVF, though, except that they don't fertilize them, obviously, but it's the same thing. I went through 13 days of injections. I probably was on a triple dose from, from my IVF. So I was on a lot of hormones twice a day. I injected myself every day. And then I went through the retrieval. So the retrieval, they got six eggs, they all survived. And I was really happy about it. And then the doctor called me that afternoon and was like, we really like if when, when women have about 10, so I'm going to do another one. Yes. I'm going to do another one. Like, six is good. And he's like, well, <laughs> I was celebrating the six and he's like, six is okay, but like, let's aim for 10. So I'm going to do another one in January to, to try and get four more. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And I guess, yeah. How does that, and it just gets stored someplace. Would you get a surrogate or would you carry the baby? How does that work? So it depends on the person, but so my, so this is really for me to get my healthiest eggs at this point and store them so that if I decide to have a child later on, this is why I say it's like an insurance policy. I can use my, my healthier version of healthier. I mean, like my younger, because sure. we do that as we age, it's more high risk, right? So what they would do, it, they would do in vitro again. So it would just be, you know, they would fertilize the egg with the sperm and then they create an embryo and then the embryo has to survive and then they would implant it in me. So it would be, it would be the same process as in vitro, just that the eggs are already sitting there waiting. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Hence why That's I could the see they the say 10 because you still have, they have to pass yeah. like there's 10, but they, they don't all fertilize and they don't all make a embryo and then they're not all healthy. So like you're cutting down your chances at each sure. stage. Technically, if you do it again, then you might get another six and you'd have 12 and basically the amount and this way, the more you have the better chances. Right. Wow. Right. But it's a, it's definitely a grueling process. It's emotionally draining. It's financially crazy. So it's, it's not something that you can just like do every month. Also your body like will only produce a certain amount of eggs. So, so at some point there's nothing left. <laughs> so basically you go through this, then the next process and then not that it's done, but then it, they get held until one day you decide I'm ready to do the process. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I thought that was interesting because like I, I had never kind of yeah. heard. I've, I know women who have had the IVF. I know friends yeah. who you know, I've had their children and stuff through that. So that process is more common, but you don't yeah. hear the freezing of the eggs. No. And I want to say, I decided to share about it. I was contemplating sharing about it and I decided to share about it because that's exactly it. So like women are, first of all, they're having kids later in life and they're not all wanting to have kids or they don't know if they want to have kids or they're more career oriented than they used to be, or just you know, their lifestyle feels different for women now than like past generations. And what I, the message that like, I sort of wanted to give other women with, with my experience is you don't have to feel pressured into having children. If you're not ready to have children, I'm all about being a mom and having children, but 
lots of times I think that that biological clock, again, it screams at you and you're like, oh my God, I have to change my whole life. Or you feel so much pressure, so much anxiety over something that either you're not ready for, or may not be a good time for you. So this is just like an, like an opportunity to, to choose you yourself first and, and sort of then decide like whenever you feel ready. Sure. So I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that had something, cause I know you, you said that to your point that when you were trying, you thought and almost pressured yourself, like I need to look to have yeah. kids. So do you feel that there, you know, that you weren't quote unquote, which I feel like you are never ready, but I do understand your point. I also had my son later in life as well. I was 33, 34. So I'm, I'm 37 now. So I, I I get it. And I thought I was ready. And I was like, Oh, God, I, no, you're never ready. But it's still saying you want to be ready for and not saying you want to be ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Okay, so let's get to my quick get to know. This is where I like to find out things about the moms that I talk to things that maybe you might want to recommend put out there to the podcast world, my listeners. So any favorite movie or one that you would like to recommend? And when I say favorite movie, it could be one that maybe you watch because some people, some people are like, I don't watch movies. I don't have time. It could be something that anytime you see, it, you're like, I have to watch it or just one you want to recommend to people. Is this like for, for, for what I do? Anything or that you want to, I, I am trying to think of like the last movie I saw. I know every mom and I'm like, that's such a mom thing. Cause we don't have time. What is a movie? I think the last movie I saw. What about, was, what about a TV was, show? Like, then? Any TV show, like, anything Yes. Yes. Okay. No, I definitely watch Netflix all the time. I just don't watch movies all the time, but yeah, there's definitely, Oh, I watch a lot of, I like a lot of the murder series, <laughs> you know, I like love it, but then I get stressed about it. So then I have to watch like a sitcom to like after it. So it's crazy. The anxiety like, and it, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try, I'm going to get back to you and you can write it down because I'm blanking on, on what I even watch, which is so crazy, but I That's how you know, like when moms watch TV, it's like mindless. Cause we just need something yeah. to get our brain off of everything else we're watching. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think like one of the series I watched, like in the beginning of COVID and the pandemic was called little fires everywhere. Did you ever see that? That was really good. Yeah. Very I good. really like that one. It was like a good show that made you think opportunities to discuss. I love movies. The reason why I ask this always question about movies is because I like watching movies, TV shows, or anything that make me think. Another one that's like that on Apple TV, which is, it's pretty depressing though. So if you're not in the mood for something depressing, don't watch it. But it's very psychological kind of thriller is called Defending Jacob. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I've that heard one, of it. Isn't it about a little boy who committed a murder? Yeah, who might have committed a murder. And it's basically through the perspective of his parents, like how his parents are coping with like, maybe he did it, maybe he did it. It's really, really good. Like it's, okay. it's depressing. It's heavy, but it's good. But so I'll go from that to watching like, you know, mindless, like ridiculous things. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm all um, over the place. <laughs> what about a book, a favorite book that you've either read that you're reading when you like to recommend? Yeah. So I, for that, I will go to the books that I love really in this parenting world. Two people that I love, I love Dan Siegel. Um, and he has a book called The Whole Brain Child. And another one called the yes brain, but start with the whole brain child. I love that one so much. Mm -hmm. um, I also love Shafali Tabari is, I don't know if you've heard of her, Dr. Shafali Tabari. She's amazing. She's one of my gurus. The way she thinks about parenting is incredible, but her books are definitely dense. 
it's a lot, but instead of the books, if you just watch her talks, they're amazing. She's been on Oprah. Like you can just Google her. Um, she has courses. Sometimes I've seen her live twice. She's so inspirational. Okay. Uh, she's amazing too. Another person that I really like for parents of littles is Janet Lansbury. And I don't know if you've heard of her. She has a book called no bad kids. Uh, it's a really, she's a great, that perspective of a positive parenting and a connection-based parenting, the same philosophy that I kind of go with. She, I think she has more books, but she's really, really great too. And reading for fun. I cannot for the life of me tell you the last time I read. (laughs) So there we go again. I read, I like read every morning. I don't know if you've heard of the skim. Like that's that's my book. That's like what I read. That's it. Of of getting updates. Yes. Yeah. And it's like a fun way to get the news. And then I feel like I did my reading. And then you're like, I'm good. I got it. I like it. That's good. Yes. hundred percent. It's funny because lately I've been deleting it because I just have no mental yeah. capacity for anything, yeah. but yes, when I'm, but I like the way they, they like phrase it, which is, it's like funny and like tolerable, you know, it's like, they make, it's still it's, it's simple. It's clean. It's yeah. cut. It's to the point. This is what's going on. No, yeah. that's funny. Cause I haven't met anyone else that reads it Yeah. Uh, for the podcast world. It's called the skim and that's S K I M M. Um, and then when I post this, you can give me the name of the author. Actually, I'd like to know. So even in our Instagram DM, you can send me because I love researching things about parenting and relationships. I always say I probably should have been a psychologist or therapist because I love the way the brain works. I love yeah. that aspect of it. I just always have been fa- fascinated with relationships and people. That's what Dan Siegel's book, The Whole Brain Child, like he's a he's a brain. He's a brain person. He's a brain researcher. And, and so so interesting the way he it's really digestible too the way he explains like the child brain and, yeah, and what our role awesome. is there it's really cool yeah so what about any high or low mommy moments of the week and how Ooh. did you overcome them yeah I know I'm sure like I'm like every time I say that I'm like yeah there could be like 10 of each but I guess for the podcast listeners to really relate is anything that you would say worth saying and how you kind of overcame maybe the low moment and, and that kind of yeah yeah. So in, I honestly, I'm blurring my weeks. So I don't know if it was this week or last week, but there was a moment when my daughter, she's really into you keeping your word nowadays mm-hmm. and promises. And the other day she like told me how I broke my promise about something. And it was just the most heart wrenching. Like it was so mature of her, but she was like, you know, you really promised this and you didn't do it. And it's really not nice to promise things that you don't do. And I was like, Oh my God, it was very, very eloquently put, but, but also stabbed to my heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my low, I think, because it was just something that I felt like, Oh, it happens. Right. But it's something that I felt like I need to sort of watch what I'm what I'm promising to her, what I feel like I can give to her. It's not, I don't always have the capacity and I'd rather under promise than over promise. That's really, that's really what I'd rather do. And I think it also shows her that she is listening because to my yes. son, I can promise some things too, maybe because it's that like, sure, sure, sure. But now she's calling you really out on your BS. <laughs> yeah. And she literally like at this point, like counts, like if I tell her in three days, like after school, I'll take you here. She will literally, then she'll, the next day she'll be like, in two days, we're going here in one day. So three more nights, like she's like counting everything out nowadays. So how did I overcome it? I just had a talk with, I like apologized. I hugged her. I said, 
I said, it doesn't feel good when people break their promises, huh? And she's like, no, it doesn't. So we, we had a repair moment. It's always an opportunity to bring us closer. And my high, my high moment in parenting is, oh my gosh, I have so many high moments in parenting, but I feel like it's when I pick her up from school, she's still, she's still besides the carpool, which is a nightmare. But once she actually, once I actually make it there, like 45 minutes later nowadays, she runs into the car, like the same way she did when she was in pre-K two. like she still will run in and be like, mommy, like she hasn't seen me like in years. And it's the sweet, it like gets me every single time, every single time I'm like thinking about how much longer this excitement that she like, that she gets to be like reunited with me is going to last. And I really, really savor that moment. I really, really do. Yeah. Puts things in perspective. I had a mom, I call my OG moms that I know that are like, you know, they have kids that are like 15, 16, 20, what, you know, older, because I did have kids later. And a lot of my friends and people I know twenties and she was like, Oh yeah, just went into the one day he comes in and he doesn't ask for you. And he comes in from school. Cause my son is a mama's boy, like through and through. And I'm like, no, don't tell me because now when he sees me, it's like the world ends. Same thing runs in my arms. And she's mm-hmm. like, there will come a day. He will come. I know. I'm saying this like, is why I savor. I really do. I tr- I truly do. Like, like I could be on a phone call. I could be distracted because we know that we do this a lot, right? We, we have to do a million things at once. I try for that moment to really disconnect from everything else I'm doing and like savor that moment of like connection of you are coming back to me. And I am so excited to see you too. And I'm so happy you're back. And that reunion is like, it's like one of the most beautiful, fulfilling things. I can can see. I mean, obviously the listeners won't be able to see your face and I'm sure they can hear it in your voice, but you have such like a happy, joyful, genuine smile. And that really is, it's again, goes back to what you were saying, connection and taking out all the noise and being here and being like, we're here at this moment. Nothing else matters, but right here. So that's awesome. What has motherhood taught you? Oh, what has it taught me? It has taught me to calm down my type A personality. (laughs) That's what it's taught me because, oh gosh, you do not have the control you think you have once you hit parenthood, right? So it's really taught me a couple things. It's taught me to let go of expectations or being too attached to certain outcomes, to really let go of control a lot. I have controlling nature in my I'm a planner. I like to control the way things are. And yeah, and I've made such a conscious effort to not do that in my parenting as much as possible. So it's really taught me that. It's really taught me patience. That's that's really big. Like it's I think it really has. And it's taught me resilience. Like I didn't think like, you know what? is really funny. I'll, I'll end off with this note. If I remember sitting with my like ex-sister-in-law one time before I even, I think it was when I was pregnant or trying to get pregnant. And I asked her, she already had a child. And I was like, don't you miss, don't you miss like the time before you had kids to like all the freedom you had and you could do whatever you wanted. And like, and she just looks at me and I'll never forget this. And she goes, I don't know what the, F I did with so much time. And I can understand that now because I still get a lot of shit done a lot. And like, it's just made me more resilient and stronger. And uh, it made me have the ability to be able to like take on much more challenging things than I ever would have without being a mom. Moms are 
motherhood makes you really strong in every way. It, you know, even from labor, from the newborn stage, from being sleep, sleep deprived and physically like depleted to like all the emotional stuff, to all the, to the worrying you have to do, to the keeping your child safe. Motherhood just makes you a badass. It does. It does. I love it. Yes. Cause that it, it does. I can't even count like it 150% does. That is, it, it makes you a badass. It's funny. Cause I asked this question. I think I'm still, I'm still learning to release and let go my type A personality. Cause sometimes I find myself so angry and not angry at my son or anything, but I'm like, just annoyed. Like I'm like, I'm not getting this done. I'm not. And I'm like, Nicole, what are you doing? Let it go. Like I still set the expectations, even though I know better. And I know I'm giving myself grace. Um, and like, I still say like, I'm still a newbie with this, but I still have, I'm like, I, I, I like, hi, I'm Nicole. And I still have problems letting go <laughs> of my type A, you know, like it's crazy. So it's interesting that you said that. Cause I'm like, shit, I'm still not, I'm still haven't let go. I'm not there, but I'm, I think I'm more there with with my daughter, I think it still spills over into every other area of my life, but I guess that's but, a good point. Yeah. Maybe with my son, but everything else I'm like, oh. yeah, I mean, I am, but I am better, but you know what the pandemic and quarantine and all of this year has actually taught me that too, because things didn't go our way this year for sure. So it's sort of like taught me to slow down and, and motherhood too has taught me to slow down. It's taught yeah. me to like because things don't work out the way like plans and the, the getting ready and you're always late and whatever. And there's like, now you have to turn back home because of this and whatever. It teaches you that you just have to slow down sometimes. And like, it's not going to go according to your schedule. You 100%. know, and our schedules are too fast and too many things. It teaches you to be adaptable for sure. Any advice that you want to leave for your daughter or that you would hope that she always follows with her and final words to the podcast world. So if I could tell my daughter or teach my daughter anything, it would be to follow her agenda and her spirit. And so I truly believe I'm here to help her kind of flourish in herself and not impose my own agenda on her. And that's really hard, but that is what I think I would most advise any, any listener is to really step back and look at your child for who they are and who they want to be and not try to make them who, who you want them to be. Yeah. yeah. So is that, that's also your final thoughts, just kind of like, let them be despite whatever. They will guide you. They do. They guide you. They know who they are. They children come knowing who they are. We're the ones that sort of confuse them. We're like, no, you like this. No, you don't like this. No, you're going to go there. No, that's not your friend. You know? start tainting and doing, but they're like, huh, what? I know. Yeah. So, when we think about it, it's, I know it's a lot for them, their little minds. And it's like, look, but I, but I want to play here. You're like, no, right. like, no, you know, my daughter is obsessed with superheroes and Spider-Man and firefighters and police officers. And that is not the picture I had in my mind of this, this, you know, and she, if you look at her, she's like this tall, super blonde, curly, long hair. Like she looks like a Barbie doll. And so, and so it doesn't match sometimes when she comes out in her Hulk mask and roars in my face and like, and you know, but I'm, I'm embracing it. And I, and I love that she knows who she is. She does. She knows who she is. And that's the gift, the biggest gift I could give her, I think. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your, your journey, your thoughts, your wisdom with the podcast world and for all the moms out there. So I, I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on the platform you're listening on. Tune in next time to hear another fierce mama share her story. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.